Welcome to another episode of Deliberately Better. I'm your host, Dr. Damon Ashworth, and I'm joined by Kurt Ashworth, audiologist. Welcome, Kurt. Thank you, Damon. Happy to be here. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? I'm an audiologist. I've, I've been practicing now for 13 years. I've lived down in, in the regional town of Ballarat in Victoria, just help people with their, their hearing-related issues, generally is my job. The reason I asked you on is, you know, I think there's probably a fair few people that don't understand too much about audiology or know much about it. So I thought it'd be good to talk about it in terms of, you know, if people have hearing concerns or they want to get it checked out, what difference it might make. For sure. Hopefully I can answer some questions. All righty. So firstly, uh, what does an audiologist do? There's a lot of varied roles in audiology, but my my role personally, um, we see everyone from young kids all the way through to people in their late 90s and 100s, and basically it's assessing hearing issues. So people people come in and see us, and if they're, they're not doing well with their hearing, we, we find out what the problem is and treat that, and if needed, we, we look at fitting devices to help them improve their quality of life and their, and their hearing issues. What led to your interest in audiology? I did an undergraduate in psychology, and I didn't really want to be a psychologist. I left that to you. And so, yeah, I stumbled across audiology and basically found out that it's a nice mixture of of counselling and helping people, and then these days very uh, techy on the on the um, device side as well. So it's a nice mixture of technology and counselling, and um, yeah, sort of a fairly short period of time you can make quite a difference in people's lives. I feel like you've always been a bit more interested in the newest tech than I have. The amount of times I have to update iPhones and everything else, it's um, it can be challenging at times. But yeah, no, I love the technology side of things. Uh, how would you say that audiology helps to improve someone's quality of life? We're very much communication species. We we obviously need to be able to converse and get our point across and be heard, and um, that's what makes it really difficult with people with hearing loss. They start to withdraw and choose not to socialise anymore when they can't be heard, and family can get very frustrated. So obviously being able to give back people some degree of hearing allows them to become more social again and integrate into things that they cut out of their life. And I'm guessing then they can choose, you know, at times where they don't want to wear it or times where they do, but at least then they can hear if they'd like to. We definitely encourage people to wear them pretty much all waking hours. They become become your new ears when we fit hearing devices. And so um, majority of them will log 16 hours a day for their hearing aids. So they, they don't wear them to bed. They don't put them in the shower, but otherwise they tend to be they're doing the right thing. What would you say is some of the most rewarding parts of the job are? I quite like the journey from, from start to finish. So. A lot of times um, hearing loss is quite insidious and gradual in its onset, whether we're in denial or whether we just haven't bothered to look into it often. We don't don't get to our hearing for up to a decade before we start to address it. Being able to take people from that initial point where they really couldn't hear and you talk them through and counsel them through the process and involve medical teams if need be to rule out concerns or organise surgeries and then get them through the rehab and teach them how it all works and get them um, used to hearing again and seeing them, you know, 12 months, two years later, completely different people, socialising and reintegrating again. It's, um, it's really rewarding from that start to finish. Really seeing what difference it can make on the quality of life? Yeah, yeah. It makes a difference to the family. It makes a difference to the individual. And often these – I had one gentleman I saw, he'd, he'd had 30 years where basically he was almost signing to his wife. He would come in and – sort of translate everything that was being said because he was such a good lip reader. And in the end, we were able to fit him quite successfully with hearing aids after his hand and ear doctor and had his ears cleaned. And 
and now he comes in by himself and he's got a job that he holds down and functions relatively normal life. So it's quite satisfying with those with those sort of cases. Yeah, definitely. And they're the positive ones. But I wonder, are there some more challenging cases too sometimes and how much of a role does counselling play in it? Yeah, we get a lot of denial with hearing. Definitely important to counsel and not to not to push people when they're not ready. You can also find that certain types of hearing losses are not as easily fixed, so there can be that counselling about expectations of while these devices and these um, you know rehab options can make things easier, we still have a permanent hearing loss and a disability that un- underlies that technology. So the counselling can be to for what to expect, but also for what to still miss out on. I heard when I was younger all the time to, you know, I'm not meant to listen to music too loud in headphones. How much of an impact can that have if you go to like a really loud rock concert or listen too loud on your music? A lot is the, is the simple answer, but it's um, it's very gradual with, with noise-induced hearing loss. And so the damage we do in our in our teen years, in our, in our 20s, we often don't see that level of damage until we get some age-related loss on top later in life. It's a little bit like sun exposure. It just creeps up on us. So definitely the more you can protect the hearing, the better. We're lucky in a way that a lot of the damage that we've seen with noise exposure is being cut out because a lot of it was industry-related and now the workplaces are mandated to provide protection. But often the people that have noisy workplaces still have noisy recreational things they do on the weekend with chainsaws and shooting and uh, motorbikes, etc., and they often don't protect it. So we're definitely still seeing some younger people with avoidable hearing loss that needs to be treated earlier than they'd like. At what age would you normally say it happens that people start to develop hearing loss? If it's just age-related hearing loss, you tend to see some decline by 50s to 60s. Most 80-year-olds, if they've got normal hearing, that would be the exception. majority of 70 and 80-year-olds have some, some degree of loss. We lose our high frequencies first. The majority of adults and we lose our mid to high pitches with noise damage so they have an additive effect when you've got uh, a history of noise exposure plus we're just getting into our latter years the majority of people have some degree of hearing loss in their future but some of it's avoidable and what type of difference can hearing aids make hearing aids are pretty advanced these days they're quite good at um, selectively bringing up the pitches that we we're missing um, and they can be be programmed by an, by an audiologist to isolate the sounds that they need to hear better and the sounds that they're hearing naturally they can just pass through the the ear tips unobstructed and so they can make quite a difference they're, they're quite clever in the way that they can focus on voices in front in a restaurant and they can knock out background noise machinery etc to make it more comfortable and they've come a long way even in the time i've been working in the field and i've heard that you started doing some work with cochlear implants how do they differ from hearing aids and who are they meant to be for instead yeah, so that's been a new experience for me to get into that field. It's quite specialised and been lucky enough to be working with implants over the last 12 to 18 months. Cochlear implants work very differently though, when people's hearing is damaged to a point where hearing aids are not really providing the benefit they want. A cochlear implant stimulates the hearing nerve directly and it bypasses the damage. It's not for everyone, but it's for those losses where people can't converse on the phone anymore and they're asking for constant repeats even when they're watching people, they're often at that stage where it's worth looking at an implant. And, yeah, they, a, lot of, a lot of implant recipients get sort of 80% of the sounds right in words. It can bring back a hell of a lot of hearing. I had one gentleman who was completely deaf, had no hearing left at all, and, and he can now converse really successfully one-on-one with minimal repeats 12 months later. So it can be quite life-changing. And is it ever given to kids or just adults? 
the adult space, especially the the older adults, is in some ways that's the group that people don't tend to know about. They tend to associate cochlear implants with kids, and a lot of kids they get tested at birth. Every kid born in Victoria has a hearing test before they leave the hospital. Those kids are often triaged and referred, and if they've got profound hearing loss in both ears, they'll be implanted by six to nine months. So they're the ones you tend to see with the uh, videos on YouTube where they turn on the implant and the, the child's face lights up. But what we're seeing a lot more now of is the adults at the other end of their life. We had a, a 90-year-old get his first implant recently because the hearing aids were no longer working anymore. And it's really nice to sort of bring back hearing for those people that are so severely deprived. And how does it help in a way that hearing is done? It's just a different mechanism. Hearing aids are just making sounds louder. But if the hearing loss is a cochlear or inner ear loss, the hair cells inside the inner ear are damaged and distorted. So you make the sounds louder, but they're not necessarily any clearer. The cochlear implant electrically stimulates beyond the hair cells to play into the hearing nerve. And so it's, um, it sounds very different when they start, but it's, it bypasses that damage. Is it pretty easy to adapt to or how long does it normally take? It, look, they say up to 12 months you can keep getting better, but usually... Usually by three months, people are making sense of words and speech. What about tinnitus? I've heard a little bit about that. What, what tends to cause it? Have you had tinnitus before, Dan? Maybe, like very temporarily. Like a ringing in the ears, is it? Tinnitus is noise that's in your, in your head that's not in the environment. It doesn't mean you're crazy. It's, it's a common phenomenon. It tends to mean there's some degree of damage in the system if it's ongoing. If you have ringing in the ears, it's worth having a hearing test. It can be anything as simple as a blocked ear with wax. Far more commonly, it's to do with some degree of damage in the in the hearing pathway. It's something that tends to get better for most people, not worse over time. And I think that's probably the biggest fear we face is that when it first comes on, it's quite loud and bothersome. And so people often come in and say, I hope this doesn't get worse. And usually as you adjust and habituate to it, it tends to settle. And you do a lot better if, if the hearing loss is aidable because as you increase the outside noises, the head noise tends to be muffled and reduced. So is there much that can be done about it if someone's had it and it's lasting for a while? It responds quite well to um, cognitive behavioural therapy, which is more your area. If people are finding really negative uh, associations emotionally with the tinnitus, majority of people find it far more mild than that and just a bit annoying. It's often as simple as just putting on some white noise or some masking noise when they're trying to go to sleep or an audio book just to distract we tend to notice the tinnitus most when we're when the room is really quiet and when we're going to bed the room is quiet and if you then fixate on it, it can be hard to sleep so that's probably the time when I, when people ask us most often to come up with a solution and you, there's free apps on the phone or Spotify where you can play different sound profiles to help mask out the noise like a white noise or a pink noise I find quite a lot of good results with violet noise actually which is a high frequency white noise the majority of losses are high frequency losses um it just tends to not have to go as loud to block out that noise so it's less annoying. And Yeah, but they, but whatever works for the individual. It depends. Typically, the tinnitus will reflect the worst part of their hearing. So if they've got a low-pitch loss, they tend to hear a hum or a buzz. If it's a high-pitch loss, it's more of a, a hiss or a ring. But either way, we just recommend people have a hearing test so they know what's going on. There's a few times when tinnitus can mean something more sinister, and so those ones need to be investigated for um, concerns medically, but majority of the time it's just a, a sign of hearing damage. What about um, misophonia, where people, you know, really don't don't like certain sounds? Is there anything that can be done about that? It, that's probably more in your space. It's not something we come across often. There's a clinic in Heidelberg, DWM, that specialise in that area, hyperacusis, which is that sort of 
discomfort from loud sounds, misophonia, which is more of that annoyance or sensitivity to, to sounds. And if we've got those more severe cases, we do refer on. Some people use gentle earplugs in the sense that they reduce the sound a little bit just to take away some some of that annoyance, but it needs to be treated based on the individual with misophonia. Just to people that don't know, it's more of that they can hear sounds like their partner chewing or breathing too loud and they can get quite distressed and annoyed by it. Um, it can have quite an impact on relationships. My readings, it, there's some mention of it being linked into potentially uh, OCD type patients as well. You heard that? There's sometimes like a misconception with OCD in that people say, oh, I'm a little bit OCD and what they mean is they're a bit particular about things and that's not really what OCD is about. OCD is more like I'm afraid that if I step on this crack, something bad's going to happen. So I need to avoid cracks so that something bad doesn't happen. Whereas OCPD is more yeah. like really perfectionistic and I need all my books to be color coordinated and from highest to lowest. Yeah, or sure. It doesn't feel good. And so misophonia can sometimes be a bit more linked in with that. But it's really my understanding is about how aversive it is. You hear a sound and some people hear it and say, that's awful. I, I want to get rid of that. And then that's going to make the distress worse. And that, that comment you're talking there about the different reaction to the same sound is very much how your more severe tinnitus patients talk about it as well because a lot of people hear the sound and it's just a noise in the background but some will have it like screeching on a blackboard. So it's yeah. that sort of emotional connection to the, the internal head noise which can be distur disturbing just like the mesophonia with the external noises that can be disturbing. Yeah. And another thing I've really found that does have a big impact on people is sometimes if they're struggling with sleep – and they're sleeping next to a partner who snores. Can audiologists help with that at all? Yeah, we, we, we make a lot of custom plugs. We take the shape of the ear with a, with a soft silicon that sets a little bit like um, what they do with dentures when they, when they take the shape of the mouth. Those, you can make them in a material that's quite soft, so reasonably comfortable to sleep in, but it doesn't get rid of all the snoring, but it can drop it 50%. It's like having earplugs, but they're actually comfortable to sleep in. So then you could wear that on a regular basis and then even though you might hear the snoring a bit, it hopefully won't annoy you as much. Yeah, there's, um, it can, it's saved many a marriage for the, the person coming in saying I can't sleep next to my husband or wife because they snore like crazy. So it just takes it from that annoying level back to that level that can be ignored overnight. Have you spoken to someone who's got the custom-made earplugs? How do they find it in comparison to maybe like an earplug that you can buy in a shop? Well, often we'll have these, these sort of people that you're talking about come in and they've been using the foam ones for 12 months, but they can only sleep. They only put one in and sleep on the other ear and it's because their ears just hurt every morning. So look, they're not perfect, but majority of people find them far more tolerable. Yeah, they're a whole lot better. What would you say some of your hopes are for the field of audiology in the future? We sort of talked a little bit about that yesterday, you and I. It was just this idea of the devices can be quite expensive and so I think a lot of people miss out on potentially having technology that could enhance their uh, quality of life. We have services in Australia for anyone with a permanent hearing loss under 26 can, can access devices free of charge and a lot of pensioners over 65 the same but there's a big gap in between those two age groups where um, people aren't necessarily able to afford technology and, and, and as a result miss out. So I think a hope for the future would be to make things uh, more affordable and, and more accessible and potentially more funding. There is a discussion about potentially having some Medicareable audiology services coming in in the first quarter next year, so that might make the services more available for more people, which would be great. And more affordable as well. Yeah, exactly. It's still Devices are still 
you know, they can range from $2,000 a set to $8,000 a set, so they, they can still be quite expensive. But, yeah, it would be nice if those things could be more affordable. There is There has been a, a bill passed in the U.S. now to have some more over-the-counter hearing aids um, available, which will provide people with some hearing solutions at a lower price, but obviously the risk with that then is are they, are they doing damage? Are they the right fit? Are they actually going to give you the um, benefit you want? But at least that will allow people that can't afford it to have some options, which will be good. Really making it so that as many people that need to can access the services and not be put at too much of a financial cost. Yeah, I mean, to give you an example, they talk about cochlear implants and they talk about the, the world population, only about 10% have cochlear implants that could benefit. There's just a very much an underutilization of technology, and it's not as severe as that in hearing aids, but it's it's similar. Three three and ten that could benefit from amplification happen. It's just getting that. It's breaking down some of the stigmas that people have had with with hearing technology, which is often the barrier, and then there's a financial barrier as well. So if both of those can improve, the, the hearing aids now obviously can can do a lot more. So we have direct connector phones, and we have so you can you can stream your podcasts and your music through the hearing aids and. Some of the new ones are now doing things like a Fitbit or an Apple Watch, but through the hearing aids, so they're tracking steps and tracking heart rate. And they're meant to be a lot, lot better for tracking steps than on the wrist because there's less noise with the wrist with all the wrist movement. Some of those things will make them become a little bit more like earbuds rather than hearing aids, which will, which will break down some of that stigma. But, yeah, it's, uh, there's still a fair way to go in that space. If someone is concerned that they might have some hearing loss, what can they do? You can find an independent audiologist and obviously check reviews and make sure you're going to a, a, you know, a place that has good recommendations. Get a hearing test, find out what's going on. Don't leave it. Even if, even if they say the hearing is normal, it still provides you a baseline so you, you know where you're starting. And if things change, you can always check it again. Get it checked every couple of years and make sure things are not declining. So similar to a blood test? Yeah, look, at, I mean, if the hearing is normal and you're having no issues, then the first test is just the baseline and you come back when there's problems. But if there's a loss that's that's found and it's very mild, then it's worth keeping an eye on it, not letting it get away from you. Often family members notice and friends notice before you do with hearing loss. So if you're getting told constantly that your hearing's terrible and you're in denial, it's worth going and getting it checked. Whereabouts do you work and how do people get in touch? So I work at Ballarat Hearing Clinic We're down on 22 Drummond Street in Ballarat. The easiest way to find us is just to jump on on Google and type in Ballarat Hearing Clinic and you'll find our contact details. We'll be happy to help out if I can. Awesome. Thanks for chatting with me today. Nice to talk, David. Speak soon. Thanks. Thanks.